can we rise for the reading of God's word? Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning. And again, welcome Echo Church and any one of you who is new or visiting. It's a joy to have you with us this morning. My name is Patrick Vestergaard. If you haven't met me yet, I'm one of the pastors here at Echo Church. And um, it is my joy and privilege to be able to continue our series in Proverbs. Maybe you saw our, our, um, our sign outside. We are, we are in Proverbs, if you didn't know. Um, and um, only a few weeks before... Uh, uh, only a few weeks ago, before we got into this series, uh, Pastor JD was preaching about sex, okay? Today, we're going to see if we can do that one better. We're going to be talking about money, all right? What a summer to be part of Echo Church. Um, who knows what next week will bring. Um, but today, we will be in chapter 3. We'll start in chapter 3. But the scope of today's sermon really is the entirety of the book of Proverbs. So get your popcorn out, get situated well. Maybe we can have someone go down and bolt the door in the back so the other church that normally comes in after us have to wait so we can get through this three-hour sermon. No. But before we get any further, let's, let's pray. Absolutely and utterly dependent upon you the power of the Holy Spirit to speak through my mouth. Lord, I pray that those who are here for the first time or have been here for a while, still new to the place, that either they will come to, to join Echo Church or find a like-minded church and, and find community like what we have experienced here. I, I just personally have been overwhelmed by the love of our church as we have gone through as, as a family, difficult and challenging things. Lord, I pray that if there are people here who still haven't found a church home, that you will lead them either to this place or to another church where they can become members and planted, where they will flourish and they will experience the, the love of Christ through his people. Oh Lord, today we pray that you will be with us as we listen uh, to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let me ask you this. Can you read? Can you write? Have you been to school? Do you have food? Do you have clothes? Most of you look like you are wearing clothes. Um, when you go to bed at night, do you have a roof over your head? Do you have a car? Do you have a phone? I'd be surprised if any of you were to answer no to any of these questions. Maybe unless you were under 16 and, and can't legally drive, you might not have a car. But what does that make you? It makes you wealthy. If you're sitting here today, you are rich. If you make $30,000 a year, you are among the richest 4.7% in the world. $30,000. If you make $50,000 a year, you are among the 1.5% richest people in the world. If you as a, as a family have a household income of 100,000, you are among the 1% in the world. So, you know, we get different pictures in our minds when we hear about wealth and being rich, uh, money, and you might not feel wealthy because when you're driving around, you see other people driving much nicer cars than yourself. We have a 2002 Odyssey minivan. We love it. But, you know, sometimes I look around and I'm like, man, I feel poor. But the reality is we are wealthy. We are rich. If you're sitting right in here listening to my voice, you're wealthy. Even if your friends or your neighbors or colleagues have nicer clothes or cars or houses, we're in a position of tremendous privilege. But here's what's astounding. 
at the same time, we're broke. And studies show, I did some research, here in North America, four out of five people live paycheck to paycheck. That means when you get your paycheck at the beginning of the month, you have nothing to show for it at the end of the month. You have no increased balance on your checking account. You have no added savings. And so what does that mean? It means if you get an unexpected bill, maybe it's a dentist or your car breaks down, well, then you can't afford the bill to pay for the repair. Or maybe you just you can't pay for rent that month or you can't meet your mortgage payment, right? So you have to take out a loan or pay with your credit card. And we all know how crazy the, the interest rates are in those. And so why are we in this situation? How can we at the same time be so wealthy and then at the same time be so broke? It's because we spend everything we have. We live hand to mouth. And we can't even cover a $1,000 emergency without it breaking our lives. We don't know what to do. So we're not managing our money well. So today's sermon is about what is the Bible saying about managing our money well, honoring God with our wealth, um, and building wealth in a way that honors him. Proverbs has a lot to say about that. But wait, hold on a moment. Doesn't Jesus say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? Yes, he did. Matthew 19, 24. And it is impossible for a camel to get through the eye of a needle, right? There's no way that's going to happen. So wealth is both, it's both deceptive and intoxicating. It makes us believe that we are self-sufficient apart from God. It is so intoxicating that we want to hold on to it with everything we have instead of holding on to God. Well, think about this. Jesus says that we have to become children in order to enter the kingdom. And a child is exactly the opposite of the rich man that Jesus talks about in chapter 19. So Jesus talks about becoming a child in order to enter the kingdom of God in, in Matthew chapter 18. And a child is the exact opposite of, a rich, of the rich man. A child trusts his father, whereas the rich man trusts in his riches. A child knows that he is dependent on his parent, whereas a rich man believes he is independent. And that's exactly why Jesus tells the rich man here in Matthew chapter 19, who asks, how do I get eternal life? He tells him to sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Jesus knew that this man's trust was in his treasure. His faith was in his, in his finance. His love was in leisure and his hope was in high yielding stocks, right? So instead of building treasure in heaven, he held on to his positions on earth. He didn't follow Jesus. So that's the danger of riches and wealth. All right, but what is, what is wealth? How much do you have to be wealthy? It's clear from the Old Testament, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were, they were men of means. King Solomon was the richest man in the world at the time. Think about Job. Now, Proverbs doesn't give us an exact definition of what qualifies as being wealthy. But the idea you get reading Proverbs is that we're not talking about a Solomon kind of wealth being the richest person in the world, but it's also not talking about living just a day to day, just getting through the day. And I think one of the greatest indicators we get of this is in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. I'm going to go through a lot of Proverbs today. So uh, if I'm going too fast, you need more time to run around and find it in Proverbs. Just, you know, raise your hand or say amen and hallelujah. And I will reply amen, hallelujah. And we have a little bit more time to find it. But first one is going to be in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. And here we read, children's children. So when God takes a good man home, he has left enough behind 
to bless not only his children, but his children's children. And yes, there's much more to this idea than simply material inheritance, but it's nothing less. We will look at that, look at that later. But what does that then look like today? What does it look like to have enough resources to provide for your family here in Southern California in 2021? Uh, we won't find that exactly in Proverbs, but we will be looking at some principles that will help us understand what that looks like. And I think at a fundamental level, that means to have enough resources to live and flourish right here where we live. And then you might ask, what, what does that practically look like? Yeah, again, scripture doesn't give us any specifics, but based on what Pastor JD shared with us a couple of weeks ago in our Creating Eden series, I will argue that it looks like being able to own and afford a home and everything that comes with that. You know, it's not just buying the home in the first place. There's maintenance, repairs, and property taxes and all that on one salary. It means to have no debt. It means to have enough saved up and put in place prudent insurances so that we're prepared for emergencies. Because we all know that emergencies will happen. You know, roofs will have to be repaired. Cars and teeth eventually will have to be replaced. It means having saved up enough or at least be on the trajectory to be saved off enough for future expenses. It also means preparing financially for the day we will no longer be able to work. Most of us are, are young in here. I'm talking especially about Peter and Shannon. Most of us are young in here today. And um, <laughs> uh, most of us are young in here today. And uh, there will be, at the same time, there will be a day where we no longer will be able to work. It's hard for us to believe, but that day will come one day. And so being able to be prepared for that day. Um, there's more to it than that, I believe, but there's nothing less. You know, that what about college? What about being able to go on vacation and rest? And how expensive should our car be? How expensive should our house be? What kind of clothes should I wear? I don't give any numbers here, but the general idea, we have a pretty good general idea of how much does a house cost in this area? How much does it cost to go to college? Maybe we have an idea of how much it costs to retire and be able to live here. Um, all I want to say that is that all of these things most likely cost more than we expect they will. Um, so... Hear me, hear me in this, that when I use the words wealth and riches here through Proverbs, don't think Elon Musk or Warren Buffett or all these very wealthy people. Also, don't think millionaires and billionaires who have made their fortunes by um, sinful means. And don't think, you know, wealthy means Gucci and Ferrari and owning a couple of homes in Italy where Rico and Taylor just came home from. Uh, although Italy is a wonderful, wonderful place. Rico and Taylor will just testify to that. But I, wanna, I want you to hear my words. If you're sitting in here today, it means you are wealthy. Okay. So with these preliminary marks out of the way, let me tell you where we're going this morning. Um, we will look at what Proverbs has to say about three different questions. Actually, I've, I've reverse engineered these questions. So based on, on studying the book of Proverbs, I've come to these three questions. And these three questions are, number one, what's the purpose of wealth? Two, how does wealth come? And three, what are the dangers of wealth? So what's the purpose of wealth? How does wealth come? And what are the dangers of wealth? Okay, number one, what's the purpose of wealth? And three things stand out as we study the book of Proverbs. First of all, we are to honor God with our wealth. It's what uh, Kat read earlier. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine. That's our command. Honor the Lord with your wealth. 
In the New Testament, Paul gives us a similar idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Here he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. This tells us that every aspect of our lives has the, has the potential to glorify God, to honor him. And in fact, honoring God is the very reason for our existence. Over the, the past couple of months, and I think even throughout the entire history of Echo Church, we have been again and again been pointing to the idea that we are created in God's image, to image him to the world, uh, to show the world how great he is. And when we accurately do that, we give him glory. We see that in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, where, where God says that he has created um, he has created his people for the purpose of his glory. So just as God created us and we're his, all of our wealth is really not ours. It's his. Okay. That's clear from other passages in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 18. Here we read, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives power, who gives you power to get wealth. Another passage, Haggai chapter two, verse eight says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declare. So he has created us, we're his, and he's given us a purpose, and that is to honor him, to give him glory. And in the same way, all our and he gives us, he gives it to us with that same purpose to honor him and to glorify him with it. And, and I just want to give a quick side note to that. Proverbs chapter 10, 22. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. We read, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. So God is the source of wealth. Wealth is a blessing, according to Proverbs. It's a blessing from God. And so as a blessing from God, Proverbs is clear that wealth is a good thing. So number one, we honor God with our wealth, and it's a good blessing from God. Number two, the second purpose of wealth is to provide for our family. We know from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, and Pastor J.D. covered that also a couple of weeks ago, that negligence in providing for your own family, for your own household, is tantamount to the denial of the faith. Um, if we say we love God, but we don't love our family enough to provide for them, we fail to live out the gospel. And so... One of the ways we provide for our family, according to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, that we looked at earlier, is to leave an inheritance. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. So caring for your relatives, caring for your household looks like being prudent. Prudent to the extent of leaving an inheritance for your children's children, for your grandchildren. I don't think many of us are thinking about that when we go to work and make our financial planning or whatnot, but to our grandchildren. And, and the context, context makes it clear that we're talking specifically about a material inheritance. Look also at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 14. 19, verse 14. There we read, house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Okay, so what's, what's the logic here? It's saying this is ordinary, right? This is special. This is from the Lord, okay? So, you know, usually I get a pair of socks for Christmas, but this year I got a sweater. So this is the, this is the new thing. This is the unique thing, right? Um, so this is, this is ordinary. Inheritance is ordinary. This one typically can expect. But a prudent wife, that's a unique gift from the Lord. 
Such a wife is special. That's special favor. And all the husbands in this room said, amen, right? <laughs> no, all right. <laughs> Today is my uh, six-year anniversary, and I can only testify that my wife, Nicole, is certainly uh, a very, a very great blessing from the Lord and great gifts to me. So thank you, love. Um, so it's, it's right and proper to provide and care for your household, even to your grandchildren, by leaving an inheritance for them. So that's the second purpose of wealth. It is to provide. The third purpose of wealth is to be generous. It is to give. Look at chapter 14, verse 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. Okay, so what's the ultimate purpose of wealth? It's to honor the Lord. What is a way we can honor the maker with our wealth? It's by being generous. It's by being generous to the needy. And do you have to be wealthy to give? No, but if you're wealthy, you honor God by giving and by implication you dishonor him by not giving, right? Uh, so that's the third purpose. It's being generous. So let's sum that up. The purpose of wealth, according to, to Proverbs, is to honor God. It's to provide and it's to give. It's to be generous. Okay, what's the second question? How does wealth come about? Proverbs talks about what kind of person, by what kind of activities wealth is produced. Let's just start by looking at the type of person, okay? Um, and again, I think there are three criteria we can look at in Proverbs. Number one, wealth comes to those who seek wisdom. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 through 16. Proverbs 3, verse 13 through 16. We read, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand, are riches and honor. Okay. So it says to seek wisdom and understanding and that the one who finds it, is blessed. So in general, having these leads to an abundant life. It leads to wealth and glory, it says, to pleasure and prosperity. Wisdom and understanding, though, is better than gain from silver and gold. It's more precious than jewels. But at the same time, wisdom leads to riches and honor. Again, look at chapter 8, verse 18. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. Okay, so chapter 8 here is talking about wisdom and its superiority. The me, riches and honor are with me. The me here is, is wisdom, okay? So riches and honor comes paradoxical, right? When wealth is sought uh, in and of itself, it corrupts. But when wisdom is sought, wealth is given. Just think about, think about Solomon. He was told by God, essentially, tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. What does Solomon, what does Solomon ask? He asks for wisdom. And he is given wisdom, but he's also given wealth. Now, think with me about what Paul says here in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, where he writes to Timothy. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 10. He writes, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Okay, so the desire here, the desire to be rich leads many to fall into temptation. It's not just harmful and leads to all kinds of evil. 
The love of money, Paul writes, has led some to deny the faith. Okay, so when we, when we crave riches, when we crave wealth, we're on a dangerous path. But when we seek wisdom, we're on a godly path. Okay, so first here we see that wisdom in general leads to wealth. Second, wealth comes to those who are humble and fear God. Look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. We read, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Okay, so what does it mean? What does it mean to be humble? Essentially, it means to renounce your own sufficiency. It means to have the right view of yourself uh, and a view that is reflected of who God is and who you are in light of him. The fear of the Lord is Jackson taught last week. So I won't go into that much detail here, but essentially it means to know who God is, uh, his laws and his commands, and to live accordingly. And then at the same time have, uh, you know, the, the emotional, the correct emotional response uh, to God based on that knowledge. So to fear him and to love him and to trust him. Now, the wages, it says here, the wages of humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Why does God bless such a person? It's because he loves God more than he loves money. He trusts God more than he trusts in money. And so God can bless this person knowing that it will be a blessing to him, but it won't be his God, right? Just like Job was tremendously blessed, tremendously wealthy, he did not love God because of it. When it was all taken away, he was vindicated before God. But at the same time, remember the warning of Paul we just read to Timothy. So be humble and fear God and your reward will be riches and honor and life. Three, wealth comes to the generous. Look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. 11, 24. Here we read, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. How interesting, right? Give and you will grow richer. That seems like, that seems like another paradox. But it makes sense because God is a God who blesses generosity and withholds blessing from the greedy. The one who holds on with tight fists to what he has, he will lose what he has. But the one who holds up with open arms, with open hands, and gives generously will end up richer, it says. Again, it's as J.D. was talking about in the first sermon, Pastor J.D. in the first sermon here in this series, it's not mechanical. It's not like God is a no-loose uh, slot machine or a genie that you know, will give us whatever we point to. Giving is a sacrifice. And sometimes we will truly feel it. But God will always reward us for our generosity at the proper time, which might be today. It might be tomorrow. It might be next year. Or it might be in eternity. The whole idea here is that the blessed man keeps on giving. It's like an endless cycle. He gives, he gets blessed by the Lord and he gives all the more. The, the generous desires nothing else than to honor the Lord with his life. And so yes, wealth is good and can be enjoyed, but it belongs to the Lord and is to be generously spread. I don't know if you heard this before, this saying, but money is like manure. You know, when it's piled, it stinks, but when it's spread, it gives life. That's what money is like. Don't, don't keep it together, but spread it out and it gives, gives life. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 27. Look at that with me. Chapter 28, verse 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want 
but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Okay. You know, the generous, he shows his true self. He shows where he trusts, where his trust is when he gives. He trusts that God will be his reward. He doesn't trust in his wealth, but in the giver of life and wealth. And so paradoxically in God's economy, which is against all natural reason, all worldly wisdom, the generous will not lack. And, and there is much more to be said about um, generosity and particularly the curses that follow if we are not generous in, in Proverbs. And we won't have time to dig into it, but I, I encourage you uh, in your own time, read through Proverbs and, and have a look at this. And, uh, and it's just so clear how, how God cares for the poor, how he's the defender of the poor, and how he demands of us with our wealth to bless the poor. And, and, uh, and there will be curses on us if we fail to do so, if we close our eyes to it. Okay, so wealth comes surprisingly as a result of giving. Okay, so what do we see? We see wealth comes to those who seek wisdom, those who are humble and fear the Lord, and thirdly, those who are generous. Next, let's look at what kind of activities um, that produces value and brings in resources. I call them activities, but they're very similar and very closely aligned to the, to the kind of person, to the characteristics that we just looked at. And you will see that as, as we go through them. But the first one here is, is diligence. Diligence leads to wealth. So in general, those who are careful and persistent, Proverbs said, look at chapter 10, verse 4. Chapter 10, verse 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Okay, so there's a, there's a slack hand that leads to poverty. And then in contrast, there's a diligent hand that leads to wealth. So you see, you can have wealth, you can be negligent with it, you can be careless, and it will cause you to become poor. But at the same time, you know, or, um, at the same time, on the other hand, you can, be, you can be diligent, you can have nothing, you can be diligent, and over time, you can become rich. And so, you know, to be poor is to not have the means to be able to sustain yourself. To be diligent means to be thoughtful and not excessively hurried or urgent. Uh, the diligent is consistent, attentive, is persistent uh, in an effort to, to accomplish, to accomplish something. And he knows, he knows that wealth does not come overnight. Actually, Proverbs has a lot to say about slow wealth. Look at chapter 13, verse 11. 13, 11, we read that, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever, ga whoever gathers a little by little will increase it. Now, wealth does not come overnight. It does not come through get-rich-quick schemes. So, the quick and easy way to become rich, even if you are successful, even if you got on the GameStop you know, trajectory right at the right time, the principle here is, if you become wealthy quickly, you will lose that in general quickly as well. Instead, be diligent. And what's, who is the, who's the opposite person of the diligent? It's the sluggard. Okay, this is one of my, one of my favorite proverbs in chapter 22, verse 13. Chapter 22, verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Okay, so notice it doesn't say the poor. It says the sluggard. And the sluggard is not even worthy of being called poor because he's, he's just, he's lazy. And the sluggard, again, again, throughout Proverbs is contrasted with the upright and the righteous. But the sluggard, he is, he is so lazy that he will make the most ridiculous claims. You know, there's a lion outside, so I can't leave the comfort of my home where other people are providing meals for me. The lazy person, he always makes excuses. 
you know, I'm overqualified for that job. I'm underqualified. Uh, that job is, is not my calling. I don't, I don't feel delight in it. I don't feel fulfillment by it. I'm not an outdoor person. I'm not an, I'm not an indoor person. I don't know how long I will be in this area. So, you know, I'm thinking about moving somewhere else. So this, this is not for me. It's, it's not my major. I'm still looking for the perfect job. There's a lion outside. <laughs> Wealth comes by being diligent, okay? Not by get rich quick schemes. Second, wealth comes by saving. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. Again, we will look at the sluggard. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Okay, so the ant plans, prepares, and gathers, saves, because if the ant doesn't do that, then there will be no food in bad times. Okay, so principle for us is to save, work hard now, so you will have later. Look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17. 21, verse 17. Here we read, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Know, wine and oil are not bad. Throughout, throughout scripture, wine and oil are a sign of blessing. But you can love it so much that you spend all your money on it. And then you won't be rich. In fact, you will be poor. So the principle is that those who live for pleasure at the end will have nothing to show for it. So... The ant plans ahead, and so should we. We know that there will come a day when we can no longer work. We will have to retire. And it would be wise for us to save for that day. Let me just take a second and, and speak to the men in here, whether you are married or not yet married, or in the process of getting married. Do you have a plan to provide for your family? Do you even know what it takes financially? How much do you need to sow now to be able to harvest later, to be able to buy a house, provide for your family, provide for getting your kids to school and, and leave an inheritance for your children's children? Have you considered how much it costs to live here? Probably one of the most expensive places on planet Earth. How many resources you will need to go out and gather in order to flourish here? You know, there are men in this church who have, who have sat down and charted out a plan, you know, a five-year plan to how do I get to a place where I can actually provide for my family so that we can flourish. Others are taking on two jobs for a season. Others are graduates, you know, looking for a job within their field. But at the meantime, in the meantime, you know, working odd jobs here and there. These things won't fall into your lap. That's what the sluggard believes. Planning and working hard and being diligent begins today. So plan, save, don't spend it. That's how wealth is produced. Third, avoiding debt. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. We read, the Lord will open up, give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. God will bless Israel so she does not have to borrow. In fact, she will be so blessed that others will come to Israel for loans and Israel could charge them interest, which will further increase their wealth. And so that's a blessed state to be in. Having to borrow is the opposite. Look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender. You know, a slave is someone who has lost his freedom and is responsible to his master. 
And so what happens when we're in debt? To give a little bit of it away. There's some needs all our money. You know, we have car payments, we have student loans, we have credit card loans, we have mortgage payments. Did you know that the average car payment today is $545 a month? And interest on that is 6.1%. You know, then you pay off that car over five years. So when you've paid it off, including interest, you have paid $32,000 for a $26,000 car. And then on top of that, according to Carfax, the car has now decreased in value up to 60%. So that means after five years, you have paid $32,000 for a car that is now worth $10,000. Now, if instead you put $545 aside every month and put them in something boring like a conservative mutual fund that maybe will give you an 8% return on average, then after five years, you will have put away your own money, $32,000, but you will also have earned $7,000 in capital gains. So you will sit with $42,000. Or you can just put away $140 every month. And uh, then after five years, you can go over to your neighbor and buy his car for $10,000 that he spent $32,000 on. <laughs> So the borrower is slave to the lender. If you want to build wealth, avoid debt. But if you are already in debt, many of us are, just do like the ant, sit down and make a plan of how to get out of it. You know, make a plan and work it like your hair was on fire. It's not impossible to get out. So again, if you want to build wealth, avoid debt. So let's sum up again. How does wealth come about? It comes about by diligence, saving, and avoiding debt. Now we turn to what are the dangers of wealth? Last question here. I want to look at three things again. First, wealth is dangerous because it can lead to a false security. Look at chapter 18, verse 11. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Uh, this one is interesting. Here we have a man who is wealthy. He thinks he's safe, right? It's like a strong city that can withstand attacks from outside. It's like a, a wall, a high wall of defense, and he feels safe and secure. But it says here, it's all in his imagination. Riches can give a false security. And there's no true and deep security in our wealth. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 7. Chapter 11, verse 7. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish. And the expectation of wealth perishes too. All your hope comes crashing down if you put it in wealth. The rich person looks at his wealth that's, you know, it's visible and he thinks he's safe. But really, it's the person who has something, or can I say someone who is invisible, who is truly safe. Wealth can lead to false security. Number two, wealth is dangerous because we can end up giving our lives to it. Proverbs chapter 20, 23, verse 4. Chapter 23, verse 4. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Well, we've just seen that we have to be diligent. We have to work hard and not be lazy. And now it says, don't toil to acquire wealth. Well, which, which one is it? I think the proverb here is saying that we shouldn't live for riches. We should not spend all our time and energy on, in building wealth. Don't give your life to the pursuit of it. It implies that there is something greater. And we'll look at that in just one minute. So don't give your life to the pursuit of wealth. Third, and I think most importantly, wealth cannot save. Look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4. 
Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Which is better on the day of wrath? Riches or righteousness? One doesn't profit at all. The other delivers from death. You know, God's wrath burns and sweeps away everything before it. On the day of wrath, nothing can stand before it, especially not a pile of money. So if you put your trust in your riches, you can be confident that on the day of wrath, you will stand naked and without anything before God. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. On the last day, there are those who will, who will fall and there are those who will flourish. There's those who have trusted in their own riches and then there is the one who is trusted in the righteousness of another. Wealth is fleeting and unreliable. And at the end, it cannot save from death. It's the fool who trusts in, a, in, the, in his riches. But you see, wealth is a blessing, but it, it can't take away the wrath of God. Wealth protects, right? but not from the punishment of sin. Treasure is a blessing in this life, but there's only one true treasure that will last eternally. No matter how much wealth we accumulate, it will never be able to pay off the debt that we owe. Because when we came into this world, we were under the obligation to God. We were under obligation to obey God completely. And none of us have done that. In fact, we've all failed to obey him. And the Bible says that we have accumulated wealth, sorry, accumulated debt that we owe God himself. And because we haven't obeyed God perfectly, we must pay for our sin by suffering eternal wrath, the wrath of God. And that's why Proverbs again and again talks about wealth and riches not being able to save us on the day of wrath. We can't buy perfect obedience. We cannot in any way bribe God. We can't pay off our debt to God. No matter how hard we work, no matter how diligent we are, we will always be in his debt. But here's here's what is so astounding. Here's what is the greatest miracle, the greatest event in the history of the world. And even if you are a Christian today, you need to be reminded of this, even as I am myself of God's unfathomable love, that where we couldn't pay for our debt, where we couldn't pay it ourselves, God allowed another to pay for it on our behalf. What did you do? Look at Colossians chapter chapter two, verse 13. Colossians chapter two, verse 13. Here we read that God has forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. God nailed our debt to the cross and Jesus went on. Perfectly obeyed God and never sinned, satisfied God's wrath and he died in our place paying for our debt. So Jesus has, he has satisfied the payment. He has to receipt. And now when we put our trust in him, we're debt free. There's nothing left to pay. But if you haven't put your trust in Jesus today, come to him, look to him. Jesus went on the cross and died in your place. Come to him, he is your only hope. You cannot rescue yourself. Your debt is eternal. So just come to him, repent from your sin and put your trust in him. Him alone, he alone can save you. We have talked a lot about money and riches and wealth this morning, but let me just show you the greatest treasure of all. Listen to Paul's words in Philippians chapter three, verse seven to nine. We read, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You know, Paul was a highly respected man. His, he had a great name and many accomplishments, but now he had gained Christ and that changed everything for him. What he treasured before, he now sees as, a, as loss, as rubbish. And knowing Jesus for him is um, of So he is the treasure that is worth selling everything we own to get, to follow, um, to give our lives, to get, to spend ourselves, to see, to tire out, to taste, and to obey, to enjoy forever. So Jesus, Jesus can, can be your treasure even if you lose everything. Even if you lose everything, you won't have lost anything because you have him. Jesus is the only treasure that cannot be stolen, hacked into, or lost in any way, right? And yes, it is good to leave an inheritance for your children and your children's children, but there is no inheritance like the one we have in Christ. So... Those who are in Christ are truly wealthy. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come before you not even fathoming, fathoming how great our treasure is in you, how great our wealth is in you, how beautiful and inexhaustible and wonderful our inheritance is in you. Lord, we thank you that you have paid our debt we couldn't pay it. You lived the life that we should have lived and you died in the, on the cross in our place, Lord. And we, we are eternally, eternally grateful for that, Lord. And we pray that today we will trust in you, yeah, trust in you more than we'll trust in anything else, especially riches, money, and wealth in our positions and what we have. But it'll be a reminder to go to you, to look to you, who's the giver of all things, Jesus. So, Lord, it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.